State troopers threaten reporters to be arrested, and the governor's key legislation advances. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of April 22nd. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. Back at the helm here in the Tennessean studio, our days are winding down here in our old office, uh, but we are still trying to uh, keep you abreast of all the latest stuff uh, going on in the state legislature. Last week, the biggest news, uh, at least some would say, uh, was the somewhat unprecedented move inside the Capitol, uh, at least from what we can tell, of reporters being arrested. Natalie, uh, you were there live for when this actually happened I came a little bit later, but recap for people uh, that are listening what exactly occurred. Yes. Last week, there was a protest that was being organized outside of Governor Lee's office, which is located in the state capitol. Um, it's on a floor below where the, the House and Senate chambers are, for those of you who haven't been in that building. Um, the, the group was Enough is Enough Tennessee. It's a political action committee that has also organized quite a bit of grassroots protest um, against David Byrd, who is the representative who has been accused of sexually assaulting three women when they were teenagers in the 1980s when he was their school basketball coach and teacher. Uh, this this group has shown up week after week uh, while David Byrd was still a chairman of an education subcommittee of which he has since been removed um, in, in that role, at least when he was still the chairman, they would show up every week at these meetings. They've, they've had a presence in the Capitol throughout the session. And last week they were having a protest outside of Bill Lee's office saying that they demanded a meeting with either him or with his staff members, um, about why the governor hasn't taken position on David Byrd, why he hasn't called for his resignation or anything like that. A couple of weeks ago, uh, the governor also met with Christy Rice, who is one of the, uh, victims of, uh, you know, uh, David Byrd. Uh, yes. The governor met with Christy Rice. She is one of the women who's accused David Byrd of, of sexual assault. She was, she was there, um, during this protest last week as well, but there was, there was a group of women. There was about four of them who originally said they were willing to be arrested. Um, so when the Capitol was closing down for the day on, at, I think it was around 4.30. Was this on uh, Tuesday? Tuesday? Yeah. Man, the days run together. Because it ended up being a 30-hour long sit-in they did. Um, most of the women left when the trooper said, you know, the building was closing. These four women sat down in front of Bill Lee's office and refused to go. Uh, so me, uh, a few other reporters were there. Um, I had just been monitoring, you know, what was going to go on. Um, and, uh, tro troopers come up to us and say, if, if you don't leave immediately, you're going to be arrested. And uh, initially I'd had a conversation with the trooper, tried to, to reason with him to explain that I had a job to do. That was to cover the news that was unfolding in the Capitol. And as long as these people are here, um, you know, holding a protest in the Capitol that, that I was going to be there covering it. And, uh, wouldn't budge, wouldn't budge. And so uh, eventually, you know, I took out my camera and recorded the, the tail end of a conversation with one of those troopers um, and and ultimately made the decision to walk out. I, I didn't have any authorization from my bosses to get arrested at that point. Um, but we did leave and we were not allowed to come back in the Capitol. Uh, they didn't turn around and arrest those women. They let them stay there all night and into the next day, into the following night. They weren't arrested until around 10 o'clock on Wednesday night, I believe it was. 
about 30 minutes after uh, that all happened, I decided to go up to the Capitol as well. And I went through the normal elevators, which are typically open, but they were locked at that point because it had been after hours, technically. Uh, I think I went around five uh, and had the same confrontation. I had eight state troopers surrounding me, uh, asking me where I worked. I said, Cordell Hall. They said, you know, you lied to us at one point and accused me of lying to them about saying I was a state employee. I would never identify myself as a state employee. I am proud of the fact that I am outside of state government. Um, and there was another move by them to say, get out of the building, otherwise there's going to be consequences. Uh, ultimately, we have requested uh, meetings with the governor's office to really iron out this issue, because what it really comes down to is the second floor of that building is not controlled by the governor's office. Uh, it is controlled by the the House and Senate Speaker. We are tenants of the Cordell Hall. Now, follow me down the logic with this, but uh, we pay for space inside the lawmaker's office building, Cordell Hall. Uh, we can use our office in the Capitol if we want, which is in the uh, the chambers of the House and the Senate when when they're in session or when they're out of session. Uh, and so the, the, the press really hasn't operated historically uh, on the public access of that building. Uh, again, the public access at Cordell Hall is certainly not, you know, till uh, 10 at night. And sometimes we are there till those those hours of the evening. Um, the other curious thing was the, the fact that the governor's office was defending uh, what was done by saying that they were sweeping the building at, you know, the close of it. And, and again, generally speaking, um, you don't sweep out people that are already in it. I understand preventing people from coming in uh, who may not have been there, but uh, if you are there for legitimate reasons, it, it, it's curious to suddenly uh, announce this, this change. Um, uh, for historical context, Back in 2005, there was a 77-day protest that um, people were gathered outside of the, the governor's office, uh, again on the first floor, uh, when then-Governor Bredesen was proposing essentially kicking people off of the 10-care rolls because it, it got to be a little bit unwieldy. Um, there were no arrests with that, and it lasted 77 days. Uh, this uh, protest against uh, David Byrd slash the governor, uh, this time around... Uh, uh, lasted about 30 hours and five people ultimately ended up being arrested. Is five that right? were arrested. And I think it is noteworthy that the, the second evening of the protest, they, they didn't threaten to arrest the reporters. And this was after, of course, at least the Tennessee and I'm sure other publications on Tuesday had, had made a stink about reporters being thrown out. Um, and so the, from what I understand, the governor's office, you know, did talk with THP the next day and, um, there was an understanding that they would not be threatening reporters with arrest for, for staying there with the protesters and covering them. And they did allow those reporters to stay, um, until I guess, yeah, half an hour after the, the final committee meeting took place. So the, the question remains what's going to happen in the future. We had, um, a much more minor run in with something like this earlier this session in which troopers were blocking a door uh, when reporters were trying to get out into a hallway to cover uh, a protest that was unfolding. Um, Joel and uh, another reporter went and had a meeting with the Department of Safety at that time. Uh, were assured that you know this wouldn't happen again, from what I understand, and then it did. And uh, we we are looking for some kind of resolution. We'll we'll see what happens, but we are trying to reach some kind of understanding about how we can do our job in a reasonable manner without the state trying to interfere with our access. 
Of course, other big news this past week was uh, the governor's uh, major piece of legislation, the uh, education savings account, uh, continued to advance in the House. Uh, As of this recording, it is scheduled to be taken up in uh, the House floor and the Senate uh, uh, Finance Committee. Um, We're not going to delve too far into it because by the time you're listening to this, it may have already passed in the House or failed in the House. Be a totally different bill, Joel. We'll see. Um, uh, But the other... uh, a key development from the week was the governor announced his uh, budget uh, amendment proposal. It's essentially the second version of the budget, so he can make minor tweaks uh, later in the budget process, and that included uh, providing money for community grants uh, and grants to nonprofits uh, to uh, putting $5.1 million to various education initiatives to a $10 million uh, uh, waterfront development project in Memphis. Uh, One of the more interesting moves was to divert $25 million that in the initial budget would have gone to the education savings account uh, proposal to now fund uh, an effort to to fight hepatitis C in uh, state prisons. There are uh, somewhere in excess of, uh, I believe... Uh, for 4,600 inmates in the various uh, state facilities that have been identified as having hep C. Uh, experts think that's on the low end. Uh, Commissioner Stuart McWhorter, the finance commissioner, estimated that it could be as many as 6,000. It could even be more than that. So this $25 million infusion is to really fight uh, what sounds like a massive problem in the state prisons. Yeah, and that, that that is a problem you we've seen elsewhere too, but certainly one that has taken place in Tennessee. Uh, they're they're also they also have received requests for appropriations from lawmakers. You looked through some of those last week. Found yeah. some weird stuff. Yeah, normally I, I try and delve through there, and there's really off the wall stuff. This year, I was disappointed with the off the wall. <laughs> um, there were only three really that caught my attention, uh, and this was just from the House um, I, at the time that I had reported that story. I didn't have the Senate amendments, uh, but one of them was to fund a. F- 10 part series, I believe, uh, for Rob Schneider, who is, uh, from Deuce Bigelow, among other things, former SNL, uh, 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 comedian. Uh, there was also, uh, a bill that you, or, uh, an attempt that you wrote about Natalie for, uh, chandeliers. What's that all about? Yeah. So freshman representative Brandon Ogles, he's from Franklin is asking for 200 grand, uh, for two chandeliers, Basically, what he realized was that there um, are kind of like two holes in the ceiling next to the main chandelier out in the the lobby outside the chambers, where there was originally in the building design supposed to be um, two other chandeliers. They were supposed to be coming down from Philadelphia around 1860. Uh, that didn't happen because the Civil War was starting. And so it, that always went unfinished. Those chandeliers were, were never put there. He says he wants to dedicate one to women's suffrage. Uh, the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment comes up next year. He also wants to dedicate another to the civil rights movement. And he he has gotten the buy-in of, of every woman in the House so far. Uh, you know, it's 
probably a long shot for him to get that money, but we'll see. He also says he's he's planning on raising money privately. The last uh, more interesting um, budget appropriation request came from Representative David Byrd, who again has faced allegations for the past year of uh, misconduct, sexual misconduct dating back to the 1980s. He wants uh, $2 million for uh, grants to districts to uh, uh, specifically for, quote, character development programs. Um, it's just important gonna, to have good character. Just going to leave it at that. Uh, these amendment requests can go uh, uh, unfilled. Many of them will because in the House there were in excess of, I believe, 200. Uh, and uh, we will see and stay tuned on, on which ones do get funded as lawmakers try to finalize the budget. Okay, this week on the podcast, it's a little bit different. We are not interviewing lawmakers or lobbyists or advocates, but we are interviewing our fellow reporters. We have with us Kim Cruzy of the Associated Press and Eric Shelzik of the Tennessee Journal. Thanks Formerly for coming on, guys. Formerly of the AP, yes. Cool. Thanks, guys. Hello. <laughs> So what we thought we would do this week is talk to Eric and Kim about uh, basically how it's been covering the session uh, so far this year. Uh, There's a new speaker, you know, other changes. Kim is on her first session here in Tennessee after coming from the Idaho legislature, which she covered for a number of years. Uh, Eric, of course, has been around for a while. So we have two different perspectives there. Um, Eric, how long have you been covering the General Assembly here? Since 2005. Okay, so you've seen a couple different governors. Different governors, different speakers. People have come and gone, and I've remained. Okay, and, <laughs> and Kim, you and Andy have remained. <laughs> Kim, give us just a little overview of how long you were in Idaho, and I was in what Idaho you did there. for seven years, but I covered the state house for about four, four and a half years before moving over here. So, um, yeah, I. I have to say it's it's very in some ways very similar. Uh, you know, like in the, in the West, why would that be? But it's you know it's a Republican supermajority control over there in Idaho. Um, roughly the same amount of lawmakers and a lot of the same stuff. You know, promoting you know some of the uh, Republican agenda, but also looking at when you have such a supermajority control, sometimes it's not just about looking at Republicans versus Democrats. It's looking inside interparty uh, where those divisions happen. So that has been interesting to. Uh, kind of like compare how that went down in Idaho to how that's going down here in Tennessee. Yeah. So coming here, was it like more of the same? It's like, you know, you, you've covered one legislature, you've covered them all. I mean, was there anything that stood out to you immediately upon coming here that uh, was different than your experience in Idaho? Yes and no. Um, you know, I think you have some of like the same issues, I, you know, with the um, abortion bills that have been coming up this year are very similar to the rhetoric that and um, policy discussions that have taken place, I think, in other red dominant states. However, um, I have to say in, in Idaho, the legislative leadership um, are controlled by a bunch of ranchers and farmers. And so they always want to get out by March because they have fields and cows and sheep to attend to. And so they get real cranky if they went past March. And here, our state of the state wasn't until March, and we're still in session. So that has been kind of fascinating, The um, just the, the timeline. So it's how much longer the session has been going, uh, taking some getting used to. And of course, you, Joel and Eric have, have also covered uh, other legislatures too. So feel free to chime in on, I mean, it's been a while, but 
Well, Joel and I covered the West Virginia legislature about a decade apart. So, uh, <laughs> though it's unclear how much changed in the in the interim, a lot of the same uh, figures. I, were although there. I was there when uh, Republicans took over for the first time in some odd, you know, centuries it was. But yeah, no, a lot of things are are probably still the same. It was it was similar to Tennessee in the sense that even when Democrats were in charge here, uh, the leadership was very conservative. Uh, and it was the same in West Virginia, that these weren't sort of wild-eyed uh, leftist liver, uh, legislators. Um, so that the party labels have changed, but, but the actual policies haven't made that much of, of a change, is, is at least my impression. Yeah, no, and, and kind of the same with me. And, and Kim, you, you mentioned that the farmers and ranchers, when I was in South Dakota, that's exactly what the case was there. So yep. you had you know people who were exactly that. They were trying to get out by farming season. So uh, Eric, one of the new adjustments for you has been moving from the AP, a daily uh, coverage of the legislature, to now doing the Tennessee Journal, which for those that may not know, uh, is a weekly subscription based service that you can get and it provides really interesting insights and inside tips and information so if you don't get it check it out uh, but Eric what's that adjustment been like well I've been working for the AP is is a, is a, a you know working by the minute kind of job you know if something happens you got to bang it out you got to write it and uh, now I work for essentially a weekly uh, newsletter uh, it's a whole different cadence now we do have a, a blog uh, but the emphasis of course is still on the on the paid product Um you know, I still have a bit of Stockholm syndrome when something happens. I feel like I need to run to the computer and start writing something, and then I take a deep breath and say, "Oh wait, I can, I can write about this on on, on Thursday or for the Friday newsletter." Uh, but I sit right next door to my old seat at the in in the press room and uh, across the the divider from Kim, so I get to live vicariously through her as she <laughs> scrambles to get the news out and, and <laughs> instantly. But also hear the headaches that she has to deal with, right? Of course, there's, there's always something. Uh, what you guys are talking about. <laughs> The, the good news now is that, that I'm pretty much my own boss. I get to decide what I want to write. I don't get uh, advice from, from points all over the country and the world on, on what to pursue. Uh, the bad news is I'm my own boss, so when I'm being unreasonable, I have no one to blame but myself. <laughs> Uh, one of the big issues this session, you guys know, we've all covered uh, ESA's uh, education savings account or school vouchers. Eric, I, I wanted to ask you from your perspective, you've seen many, many introductions of vouchers bills. Um, what's the difference or, or what have been some of the, the interesting things to note uh, compared to like the, the legislation that was introduced under the Governor Haslam administration? Uh, what's, what's interesting is, I guess, maybe in, in the form it's reached now, not that much has changed. Uh, what, when Haslam introduced a voucher bill, he wanted to do a pilot project that was very limited in scope and only affected children in failing schools and uh, people who were at the federal poverty guidelines. Um, the tension there was that the, the voucher advocates really want to do more and, and take a bigger bite out of the apple. And as a consequence, the bill, the biggest, you know, the big bill in 2013 just failed. Uh, the governor pulled the plug on it when he said, we're not going to go do this. Um, there's been various other attempts uh, since then, all of which have failed. And then this year's bill started out as a much broader approach. And as time has gone on, it's been dialed, dialed back and, and whittled down and to the point where, as, as I think you reported on, on Thursday, that uh, the bill would only affect Davidson and Shelby counties. Um, which is much, you know, much more limited in scope than, than, than people had hoped to start with. Of course, it, it still, you know, could be changed. The, the Senate version is very different, or at least they, they talked about Senate version is very different than what the House is supposed to be voting on on the floor tomorrow. Um, Kim, while you guys are covering uh, the, the session, how do you, you know, as a wire service that essentially works for all of, you know, the, 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 the uh, people that pay for the service, how do you guys decide 
what story is worth covering versus what, you know, you got to allow other publications to take the lead on. Well, as uh, Eric kind of hinted at that, we get a lot of input from editors and reporters from across the country. I'm interested in national trends that are going inside state houses. What this voucher push, I mean, uh, is a great example because I'm kind of following what other possible voucher-related issues are going across the country, as well as just um, what what we saw in the past couple of years with the teacher protests and looking, trying to like write on a kind of a, on a broader level on, on that approach, whereas um, they're not always as sometimes, you know, when you're in there day in and day out, you kind of like want to get into the, <laughs> the minutia of everything. And that's really important to be paying attention to. But there is kind of a tension of making sure you're writing broadly enough for that someone in South Dakota can uh, will want to read about it, care about it, while also making sure you're understanding every turn because this bill has been moving very fast. I think it's an interesting uh, position that the AP is, is put into now. It's speaking as a former AP staffer, uh, and also with the change in, in, in the Gannett Empire, and that uh, the, the Gannett newspapers now include Knoxville and, and, and Memphis. It used to be much more uh, much more regional approach by the newspapers and covering their own delegations and covering you know, Nashville specifically or Memphis specifically, et cetera. Whereas now uh, you guys at, at Gannett take a more statewide approach, which is similar to what the AP always did. So it is interesting to see how that sort of balances out and and, and, and how we don't, given how few of us there are these days, that we don't dupl- uh, duplicate efforts. And it's, it's, it's a lot to keep up with, especially this year where there's what, 42 committees and subcommittees. And that was, that's been a logistical challenge for us. You know, how do you cover all of these things going on at the same time? Um, so I don't know. I feel like there's been at times when we have had to just divvy up. We're just going to take AP on this because there's literally no way for us to cover it all, including things that are affecting Memphis and Knoxville too. And likewise with the Tennessean. It's it's we've had I I tried, but I cannot be in four places at once. It's not possible. <laughs> well, just observing the media scene since since I started, I think when I got here, there was a lot more sort of like sharp elbows and everyone was trying to beat each other and all that. Whereas these days, we find. We're all sort of in this together as, as, as our numbers shrink and as we try what to cover. What happened to the competition, Eric? Well, I mean, I, I think to some extent we all have to band together. We can't if we're, we're, we're out there trying to tear each other down uh, or, or, you know, trounce each other on, on, on twist of the screw type uh, type developments. Like we won't we won't get the news out. And speaking of banding together, I mean, we've had to we've had to like put up with some crap this session. Uh, like. <laughs> Good way of putting it. <laughs> you know, like they're threatening to arrest us and throw Locking us out doors. of yeah. public buildings and whatnot. So we've at times had to do that. Yeah. So way. so for those listening, I'm sure you noticed, but last week uh, there was a protest with uh, related to David Byrd's whole allegations where a group of women were protesting in the Capitol uh, and were trying to essentially be forcibly removed by the governor's office without or, 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 or try and get a statement out of them. Uh, at one point, the state troopers uh, went up to Natalie and and Sergio uh, Martinez Beltran of WPLN and and others and said, you either leave or you're going to be arrested. Um, Eric, that was kind of a, a, you know, your initial reaction to me was uh, in a text message. What what is this? You know, Um, had you seen this kind of thing in your, you know, uh, 14 plus years here in in Tennessee? First of all, all my text messages are off the record. Oh, I'm sorry. No, (laughs) I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, it, it is unusual, uh, though not entirely unheard of, during the Occupy Nashville protests, the uh, the state troopers were out there on, on the 
uh, the War Memorial Plaza uh, and uh, and were threatening to arrest reporters, and in fact did arrest a reporter for the for the Nashville scene for covering uh, the protests there. I guess the difference there is that was sort of outside and in the middle of the night. It wasn't at 4 p.m. and inside the Capitol, outside the governor's office. Um, it, it did. It was a striking uh, video to watch to see the guy saying, I'm, "I'm trying to be nice, but if you don't leave, you will be arrested." Uh, and it did, it did, you know, made, made you wonder what the purpose was and why they were so intent on getting the reporters out of there, not least because the women who were protesting ended up staying for, I think, Kim counted up uh, 30 hours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and the other interesting thing was on the back end of that, the very next day, they allowed them to stay until 30 minutes after uh, the last legislative committee meets, which if you actually read the policy, it states that. The building is open technically until the last legislative committee meets. So it sounds like they they decided to to finally read the policy. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Uh, Kim, you weren't here for uh, you know this. I, I believe you were out of town at the time that it happened. But had you uh, experienced anything like that when you were covering the Idaho legislature? No, I mean. I, um Capitals are public buildings where it's the people's building. You, that's that's how um, they described it in Idaho, and that's I think generally across the country, people are like the, the capitals are the people's building. So, the, um, as reporters, this is our workspace. We um, are credentialed. We have access, co- you know, cards to get into the building. So to be, um, this was a first to experience actually being like you're doing your job, but if doing your job may entail getting arrested to get out of the building. Um, it was alarming. And I think um, it raised a bunch of questions. Not the first time that it's been al- alarmed. I know Joel and I, we had to sit down with a couple of this, um, the troopers just after they briefly, briefly blocked a door during a protest, but it was still troubling that we were briefly blocked from doing they our job. falsely imprisoned Eric Schelzig for a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they, the, the the trooper was blocking the door. We were trying to run out to go see what was happening, and, and the trooper was sort of, I was trying to get around him, thinking that he was just sort of in the way. And then I realized suddenly, oh, no, he was in fact trying to physically block me from exiting the room. It was it was somewhat uh, surprising, needless to say. Yeah. So so Joel and Kim had had this meeting with the the Department of Public Safety saying. You know what the heck? This can't happen again, and and yet it did. So and we're still I, working through that. I promise the resolution was not just kick us out of the building, not <laughs> the room. Uh, so I I think this is going to be an issue that we are going to continue to uh, be paying attention to and uh, sending. I know I know my boss sent off an email to the governor's office saying you know the, hey what what the heck is going on here. Um, so I. Hopefully this doesn't happen again, but stay tuned. Yeah, I understand that the, the Tennessean has raised concerns as well with, with how that was handled. It's not clear to me that the governor's office itself is behind the policy or, or the or the Right, strategy. I'm not trying to the, implicate the, the, the governor's office. But the issue being, office. of course, that the Ultimately, safety department is, works is the executive the branch yeah. and, the, and the governor's in charge of the safety department and, and you know, and, and responsibility rolls all ways, so... Uh, as we look to wrap up here, what are the things that you guys are going to be keeping an eye on in the final weeks? It sounds like session is r- r- winding down in some way. Um, what's something that, you know, obviously, aside from vouchers, which we're all going to be covering? Well, we um, we still have a couple, I mean, abortion bills. We um, the, the trigger bill, the so-called trigger bill that would automatically make abortion illegal should Roe v. Wade be overturned is still floating through the, the House and Senate right now. I know that there's there was an, maybe a last minute attempt to bring back a separate abortion policy that we thought was dead. Um, so I, I'm very interested to see how those last minute fights can come up as well as the, um, our, our 10 care waiver. Uh, we have, uh, I don't know, like how that is all going to play out of the, how governor Lee, um, 
might want to just approach that. So we have a couple like healthcare policies that are definitely going to be floating out there at the end of the session. Well, the big one for me, of course, is the budget. We've got $38.55 billion uh, hanging in the balance, as it were. And uh, there's always last minute fights in the, in the fight. The biggest fights are usually over the smallest issues, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think last year there was uh, it was this bill. Uh, uh, what was it? The, the, the God given rights into the Constitution or something like that. Oh, it does. That was literally like Brand the last. Wait, what is the budget implication of that? Nothing, but it was it was something that they wanted to bring back that fight at the very end when the budget was being considered. But sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I mean that just I mean there's there's always little things in there that are that are kind of head scratchers and and uh, and I think you had a story last week about the the chandeliers that they want to put in the Capitol or uh, or the. The series for uh, Rob Schneider, uh, you know, the the of Deuce Bigelow. You can uh, do it. Yeah. Important projects. <laughs> you know, there's the, the sort of certain things that people really care about deeply, but <laughs> but tend to, to get out, outsized attention for, you know, uh, uh, the most important thing that state government does, which is pass the annual spending plan. And that's, of course, if there are no TN Ready problems, which I don't know. Uh, every year it seems like there are. We'll see if there are. So far, uh, it sounds like the coast is clear, but... Uh, thank you guys again for coming in. And uh, again, if you don't know their coverage, check them out. You can find them on Twitter and on their respective publications. Uh, Kim Cruzy of the AP and Eric Shelzig of the Tennessee Journal. Her That's byline nice. is actually Kimberly Cruzy. We should have introduced her as that. Okay. But Kimberly Cruzy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, it's time for this week's Notebook Dump. The governor's bill to establish a new commission to authorize charter schools, uh, essentially allowing the commission to override a local school district's decision not to permit a charter school uh, from operating, has passed both the House and Senate. It heads to the governor's desk. A bill that places restrictions on police community oversight boards around the state, such as the one just created in Nashville, also ones in Knoxville and Memphis, uh, has passed both the House and the Senate as well. It will head to the governor's desk, but this was not without both chambers reaching a compromise and conference committee in which the, the boards are not allowed to have subpoena power, but they are permitted to obtain subpoenas through uh, a majority vote by their local city councils. And finally, the Nathan Bedford Forest bus, which has been the subject of continued protest in recent years, continues to remain in the state legislature. That's despite the fact that uh, all three top state Republican leaders, the governor, House and Senate speaker, all say some additional context should be added. Thus far, the governor uh, has yet to fill a vacancy on the Capitol Commission, which is one of the only boards that can actually take up this uh, this issue, uh, the governor has also not uh, named a chairman of the committee, and he hasn't requested a new meeting of the Capitol Commission. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Please uh, find us on iTunes. Continue to rate us. It uh, really helps a lot. The podcast is produced by Erica Whitney and John Garcia. Thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.